right, so um, I'm very excited to be back up here again. I've been off this stage really for a month, um, and um, I was just told today that there's several people who are expecting me to keep the same time limit in my sermons that Craig established, and I want to tell you he's an intern, okay? I'm the real deal. I'm just joking, Craig. So, um, so I hope you're ready. Um, Craig has really set up a whole thing in this series of, of hello, my name is Saul, and, and we're going to really look into this next part of it. Now, I grew up in the 80s. Some of you, um, you don't even, weren't alive during then, and, and you missed out on a great time. Uh, some of you were a little old then, and you thought those people were dumb. But uh, while I was growing up in the 80s, I was fascinated with NASA. I loved the space shuttles. I watched every single flight I could. I even dreamed about being an astronaut. In November of 1985, uh, a few select students in my school were offered to a chance to watch the upcoming space shuttle launch. Because we did well in our studies and we did the extracurricular activities, we were selected, and I was one of them. In this whole series, we got to watch the videos on how the astronauts trained. We watched their interviews and how they prepared for this mission. And then it came time and their launch was postponed until January of 1986. And I was just waiting with anticipation. Then on January 28th at 11 a.m., I heard my name over the loudspeaker. And usually when you hear your name, it's either you're in trouble, your mom wants to talk to you, Maybe it's something good. But this was the day that I got to go down into this one part of the, the library to go watch. I quickly got up. I knew where I was going to be. I was going to go watch this launch. And I remember as, as all the teachers and I um, that were in this group, we, we watched as those astronauts carrying their helmets walked across that bridge, climbed in. We all sat there waiting and and my heart kind of waited in just for that sound, for those words, like this. 12, 11, 10, 9, ignition sequence start. 6, 5, 4, 3, 2, 1, 0, all engine running. Liftoff, we have a liftoff, 32 minutes past the hour. started beating faster as that fire shot out of the thrusters. That was a mission that I wanted to be on. I dreamed of being able to be on that. All the training, all the knowledge, all the prep work, that was something I wanted to be on. I wanted to be on a mission like that. Well, this morning, we're going to consider a different mission that was launched, a mission that carried a more valuable cargo than NASA has ever had. And the contents of this payload have the potential to save the entire human race. What we're going to study today, because it is the gospel of Jesus Christ, is when the first missionaries were commissioned. Commissioned and then launched by the church. For the past few Sundays, we've looked at Saul. In the beginning, Saul was waging war against the newly formed church. Saul went out of his way to make sure the Christians suffered. On his way to Damascus, Saul, Saul's life came to a halt. Saul met Jesus on that road, and it changed Saul. 
Hello, my name is Saul, and I've been changed, was that first sermon. Saul went from chasing the church to being a part of it. Last week, we saw how Saul was called by God to minister to others. He went from being changed to being called. And with that calling, Saul started teaching and preaching all over about the fullness of what God had said in the Old Testament. Saul went from being changed to called. Now we're going to pick up his life story in Acts chapter 13. Among the prophets and teachers of the church of Antioch was Syria, um, were Barnabas, Simeon, called the black man, Lucius from Cyrene, Manaean, the childhood companion of King Herod Antipas, Antipas, and Saul. One day as these men were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Appoint Barnabas and Saul for the special work to which I have called them. So after more fasting and prayer, the men laid their hands on them and sent them on the way. Right there, lift off. That's what that verse really means. The mission is now launched. This is the first time the church has been proactive on a mission to go spread the message. Previously, as the church we talked about, they were scattered. And because of outside forces, they were forced out. They went out and they started teaching and preaching. They were reacting to persecution. It was the the ravaging of the church following Stephen's uh, martyrdom in Jerusalem that forced many of the Christians to flee, and Saul was part of that. They didn't go quietly. They went preaching and teaching the gospel. Luke even noted in Acts eleven nineteen that this church in Antioch was one of the first planted ones as a result of that. But for the first time in biblical history, the church is proactive. They are looking forward and going forward in that. They are taking the initiative to purposely commission these missionaries from within their midst. Now, when the church is being proactive, meaning it is purposely seeking to fulfill the mission that God has given them, the world takes notice. What did the church do here to be Proactive. Look what it says in verse 2. One day as these men were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Appoint Barnabas and Saul for the special work to which I have called them. I just got to do a side note real quick. We always talk about God and Jesus, and we don't really talk about the Holy Spirit because and that, that part of the Trinity is crazy. And yet here, the Holy Spirit said, to which I have called them. That means we need to obey the Holy Spirit. And that's what he's saying right here. This church, what this church was doing here in Antioch was seeking God. They were worshiping. They were fasting. If Christians think that they do not need to fast as part of their spiritual walk, then you are missing out on a deeper part of faith that is commanded in Scripture. I'm not talking about fasting before a, a surgery. I'm talking about a proactive, purposeful fast. And I would like to say, if we don't take fasting as a part of our daily, yearly spiritual walk, we're disobeying what scriptures have told us. Because it says, when you fast. Jesus said it. He expects it. So they were worshiping fasting. The Holy Spirit talks to this group. But let's look at this group. And the, the order of the names in this passage is very important. First is Barnabas, a Jew from the island of Cyprus. We've come across this guy multiple times already. From giving up land for the benefit of the church, being told his name, 
Barnabas means son of encouragement. Barnabas is first listed, likely the leader of this church. Next comes Simeon, the, the black man or the Niger. Niger is a Latin term meaning black skinned. And so here he is right after Barnabas. Um, next, Lucius is from Cyrene, which is west of Egypt on the coast of Africa. His name was Greek, so he's a Gentile. Menaean was a member of high society, uh, says he was a childhood companion of Herod Antipas, the ruler of Galilee. So there's, these first four are very different, different ethnics, different places, different upbringings. One was rich, one was not. And then last on the list, last is Saul. Now he's got an impressive education and rabbinical training. This is a great mix. A Cyprian Jew, a black man, a Gentile, an aristocrat, and a rabbi. This is a leadership team for a church. And with such backgrounds, they were able to better minister to all those around in Antioch. While these men were worshiping and fasting, the Holy Spirit interrupts them in this thriving ministry with a sudden command. While they're worshiping, in the midst of it, the Holy Spirit speaks. This is a reminder to all of us, we do not need to escape our routines. We do not need to escape what we're daily going through just to go onto a mountaintop to find or hear God. We do not need to isolate just to hear the voice of God. Often some of the best times to hear His voice is while we're already in His presence Worshipping Him. How many of you have heard it's easier to steer a moving car than it is a parked one? Right? That, that makes sense. It's easier when it's moving to turn it. When we are worshipping, when we are engaged in servicing Christ's name, our faith is moving. We are sensitive to His voice then, and He is better able to steer us. It doesn't have to be off in some isolated place. Now, we don't know exactly how the Holy Spirit led the congregation to set apart. How did he speak these? We, we aren't given this information. I think it's designed by God. Otherwise, we'd be seeking to try and manipulate and um, replicate, imitate those things. But we do know two things. The call wasn't for everyone. There was five men in leadership that were listed, but only two were called. Only Barnabas and Saul, not all five, not even the first two. It was the first one and the last one. The one who was known as an encourager and the one who had a reputation of a Christian killer. But as we heard from Craig, God changed Saul from a Christian killer to a Christ proclaimer. And his name is now on this list. Only two were called. While the other teachers, prophets, the rest of the church remain. That tells us something. God's plan is very specific. The fact that God's calling to full-time service is selective and specific. This should be encouraging to us. It reaffirms how personal his plan is for each one of us. He doesn't just say, hey, I think I'm going to pick any, meeny, miny, mo." He selects purposely who he's going to call for each thing. 
We needn't feel guilty or depressed when he guides some people in one direction and doesn't lead us that same way. The great thing is God has a plan for each of us. Each one of us has to trust that God, that his plan that he has for us is the right plan, and it is the best plan. I don't know what God's full plan is for my life. I don't need to know his full plan. He has given me enough to know so I keep walking and keep journeying so he can keep readjusting my aim as I am walking in his path. I know I'm called to preach. It was hard sitting over here and listening while somebody else did the job I want to do. And it was so good for me. Because you know what? The church doesn't need Donnie. The church needs somebody to proclaim the word of God. And I thank you for doing that. I really do. Because it's not about us. It's about his plan that he wants to do in each, in each one of us. Now, through all this, Saul is learning about God's plan for his own life. Remember, Saul was first changed by the gospel. Then he is called into ministry. But here, it is different. There are three characteristics on this commissioning, on these guys who are going into, to be missionaries. Verse 3, so after more prayer and fasting, the men laid their hands on them and sent them on their way. The church heard the Holy Spirit. They fasted and they prayed even more. Then they laid hands on them, that's the commissioning, and sent them off. This is the first instance of planned overseas missions carried out by a specific church. We've seen people go forward on missions. We've, we've seen people go on cross-cultural, going from one place to another. But here's the first time in Scripture where the church says, we are sending you out to go there. This is very important. This is a mission-sending church, sending Barnabas and Saul. Uh, they're commissioned for ministry, and they are sent by the church. Now, God sent them. He called them. But notice he said, you set them apart. The church sets them apart, and through prayer and more fasting, they laid their hands on, and they sent them out, not to be apart from the church, but to still be within the church, out there, doing the call in the ministry of the church. The church is to send people out. It is not about coming in. It's about going out there. I read it in a book. The church's success is not its seating capacity, but its sending capacity. How many people is the church sending out to make sure more and more people are hearing the gospel? How many people is the church equipping with knowledge and deeper understanding so they can go reach more people? It's not about coming in here. It's about being the church out there. And that's what this church is doing. And they are sending out Barnabas and Saul. We need the accountability of the church. We need the encouragement of the church. We need the support of the church. And this includes ministries, missionaries. They are to be sent by the church under the authority and responsibility of the church. But notice what happens when Barnabas and Saul were sent out. Verse 4 and 5. So Barnabas and Saul were sent out by the Holy Spirit. They went down to the seaport of that place and then sailed for the island of Cyprus. It, we don't have to pronounce it right. Don't worry. Okay. There in the town of Salamis, they went to the Jewish synagogues, preached the word of God. John Mark went with them as their assistant. So they set sail from Antioch and traveled to the next port of Seleucia. And they traveled about 60 miles by boat. 
um, to Cyprus. Cyprus is a very large island. Cyprus is 140 miles long by 60 miles wide. Barnabas and Saul start their mission in one of the major cities there, Salamis. Traveled across the whole island to the capital of Cyprus and Paphos. And their reason for being on the island was to speak the word of God, it says. These men were skilled teachers of the word, and what did they do? Barnabas and Saul spoke the word of God. They didn't go tell them about their understandings. They didn't go tell them about their feelings or what the church in Antioch was doing. They said, here's what God says. Here's what the word of the Lord says. Generally, when we think about mission work in our days, there's all kind of roles and responsibilities that are employed in our strategies to reach people. But the primary responsibility of any missionary on the field is to communicate and proclaim the word of God. I really want to hit that for a moment. If there is a mission field or a mission group or something that is not proclaiming the work of of God, if they are not proclaiming what God has said in their word, then they aren't doing mission work. They're doing service work, which services work is good, but it's not a mission work. And we need to understand that the purpose of them being sent out by the church was to speak the word of God. I would argue, and the book of Acts supports this, that whatever else missionaries might do, if they are not aiming at teaching the word of God, they are not missionaries. And I would even say the same thing of churches today. If the church is not proclaiming the word of God, it is not a church. It's a social club. It's all about speaking the word of God. They may be doing very good things, good things as Christians, and we'd want to support in the name of Christian love and charity, but... We will continue to see in the book of Acts the emphasis, priority, on teaching the Word of God. I've heard people say, well, I just didn't really feel uplifted in church today. I didn't really feel connected. You know, it just seemed a little lacking. Many times I think those Sundays the Word of God was not preached. And the other side of that is the people didn't want to hear it. If you're coming in here to feel good, go watch PBS. Some great things you can watch on there. This isn't about your feelings. This is about truth. I don't want to sound harsh. I don't want to sound cold. But if you're on fire, I'm going to throw a bucket of hot or of cold water on you if I need to. That's harsh, not hot water. Messed up there. And it'd be harsh. But what's the purpose? save you. And if we've got to throw a bucket of cold water on you with our words as we proclaim what God says, it's for His glory and your salvation. We're going to continue to see in the book of Acts how they do this, and this may take place in all sorts of different strategies and approaches, but the aim is always speak the Word of God. Always. You go down to Fort Wayne, You see churches all over. Some are really cool looking. Some are very old. Some are brand new. Some look like a pole barn. There's all these different types of churches. You come over to Auburn and you can start seeing. Even here in St. Joe, we have two or three churches. We don't have a stoplight. And we got three churches. People in our area have an abundant access to the gospel. They have access to it, but that doesn't mean they have the gospel. 
These first missionaries went out, they spoke to those who did not know the message of Christ, to take the word of God to those who have never heard it before. These missionaries were sent by the church to go speak the word of God. And it is very crucial on this. They speak it, they spoke it. Barnabas and Saul knew they were to go out and speak. I'm repeating this on purpose. That's not all what Barnabas and Saul did. Look at verse 6. Afterwards, they traveled from town to town across the entire island until finally they reached Paphos where they met a Jewish sorcerer, a false prophet named Bar-Jesus. He had attached himself to the governor, Sergius Paulus, who was an intelligent man. The governor invited Barnabas and Saul to visit him for he wanted to hear the word of God. But Elamus, the sorcerer, as his name is in Greek, interfered and urged the governor, pay no attention to what Barnabas and Saul had said. He was trying to keep the, the governor from believing. Saul, also known as Paul, was filled with the Holy Spirit. He looked at the sorcerer in the eye. Then he said, you son of the devil, full of every sort of deceit and fraud, an enemy of all that is good, will you never stop perverting the true ways of the Lord? These missionaries go to Paphos. They encounter two drastically different men. They met a guy, a Jewish sorcerer named Bar-Jesus, also Elamus. He was a Jewish false prophet, a magician. Now, when I say magician, I'm not talking about pulling a rabbit out of the hat. Okay? Um, that's an illusionist. It's not like he has things up his sleeves. This is what we'd call black magic or the occult. I'm talking real spiritual evil powers. And this shows another episode within this whole realm of the supernatural conflict in the spiritual realm and what's happening in the early church. Satan hates the church. He hates it. You know why he hates the church? Because God loves it. And Satan hates everything that God loves. We're, we already saw some of this earlier with Simon the magician who wanted to purchase the power of the Holy Spirit so that he could add that to his list. We see it in chapter 19 with the seven sons of Sceva. Their spiritual opposition to the gospel being taken to the humans. Because Satan does not want us to hear the word of God. He doesn't. He wants you to feel good. Satan wants you to feel good. He wants you to feel comfortable. He wants you to trust your feelings. And he does not want to hear, want you to hear the word of God because the word of God is truth. The word of God is power. And when you trust and believe in that word and that power, it changes your life. If we're being honest in all that, we're going to see it all through Acts, but if we're honest, we're going to see the hand of Satan attacking people right here in St. Joe. I get to hear from some of you, and I get to see it in some of your lives. Satan is attacking our church. Satan hates this church. Satan hates you. And when you start walking into the right path, when you start listening and trusting, believing and doing, obeying the word of God, Satan gets mad. And he wants to fight you on it. He wants to distract you from it. He's going to throw all these things at you to get you to stop. And we have many people all over the nation and even here give up that fight because it's too hard. Let's just go back to just being easy. And give up. Let's just, let's just go to the church instead of being the church. 
And so we need to do, all of us right here, we need to do what we see happens here. Bar-Jesus seems to be a type of a counselor. It says he attached himself. And the Greek there means that he initiated that. He weaseled his way up so that he was in the realm of influence here. Now he's a false prophet, a magician named Bar-Jesus. On the other hand, we have this Roman proconsul, Sergius Paulus. He's a Roman, important magistrate. He's a governor, head of state or the province of Cyprus. He's a man of significance. He's been groomed, trained, and brought up. And then you have the weasel one who came on his own way. And I love this part. When Paul sees Bar-Jesus, this false prophet, to seek turning Sergius Paulus away from receiving Christ, it says he looks directly at him. Now, if you ever thought there's something that shouldn't be in the Bible, I, I can see people saying this shouldn't be in here. This is, this is rude and uncalled for. Paul gives a rebuke. He judges this Bar-Jesus. He looks directly in his eyes. He gives him the look. You, you know the look from your mom. You know that look, don't you? My mom, she would snap, and I'd get, look. Oh, oh, no. Just that little sound, I'm like, uh-oh. And that look, she's a short little redhead lady who would kill me. I knew she would. She told me many times. I brought you in this world. I'll take you out of it. I'll make another one just like you, except better. She'd actually said that to me one time. You know that look. And what does that look do when they, when they look at you with that authority? When they look at you with that real power. And then it said, Paul looked directly at him. He got his attention. Acts 13.10, then Paul said, you son of the devil, full of every sort of deceit and fraud, an enemy to all that is good, will you never stop perverting the true ways of the Lord? He calls him the son of the devil. This is a Jewish person. He was trained and taught in the Jewish faith. He knew all about it. And Paul just said, you're the son of Satan. You're leading him away from truth. You are the enemy of all that is good. He doesn't say you're mistaken. He doesn't say you're misguided. You've got some erroneous beliefs. He said you are the enemy of all that is good. And then he goes further, that you are full of deceit and fraud. And then he he answers this, or finishes this whole rebuke with a blunt question. Will you never stop perverting the ways of the Lord? In other words, we are seeking people down the right path towards towards the Lord, and you're coming in to deter them and send them to hell. You're bringing in confusion, deception. There's a way that leads to life, and you are on the way to destruction, Bar-Jesus. You're leading people to destruction. You're leading them to hell. Paul, in the middle of this encounter, chastises, rebukes him, judge him. When we share the gospel with people, when we actually do what Scripture says and share the gospel, you are going to face opposition. And I can say that because Scripture says it. And we need to be able to boldly, truthfully call out people when they are wrong. Christians have believed the lie that we should not judge others. 
We have let the world tell us how to interpret Scripture. Not, not what God says about Scripture. We've let the world judge not lest ye be judged. That's not what it says. Those are the right words, but take it in the full context. Don't judge them on a different set of standards than you are wanting to be judged. That's what that's saying. I don't think anybody should, I'm just saying so. I don't think anybody should come to church unless they are dressed up in a suit and tie. Judge not, lest you be judged. Because that's how I'll be judged then. That's what that statement means. It doesn't mean you can't cast a judgment out there based on God's word. If I see one of you out there getting drunk, if I see one of you out there beating somebody senselessly, I will pass a judgment that God has already said, stop sinning. Stop it. It's a sin. And if you keep in that, you are going to hell. That's a judgment. And scripture says we all, not just me, we all need to do this. Scripture tells us to actually judge. Not based on our standards. We are to judge according to God's standards. Now, let's go to verse 11. Watch now, for the Lord has laid his hands of punishment on you. And you will be struck blind. You will not see the sunlight for some time. Instantly, mist of darkness came over the man's eyes, and he began groping around, begging for someone to take his hand and lead him. Paul not only chastises, rebukes him, judges him, but then he puts, tells a judgment of punishment on him, a temporary blindness. Now, I wanted, I was looking at this, I'm like, man, this is, this is really interesting stuff here, how this all plays out. Notice two things about this judgment, the necessity of the judgment. Sometimes a firm, sharp, blistering rebuke is necessary and appropriate in the response to falsehood. If a preacher, an elder, or a mature Christ follower never speaks this way, or any um, speaks this way, then either they are surrounded by perfect Christians, or they don't have the Spirit-inspired guts that Paul has. There, there was a time, my mom, I told you she's five foot, just over, and I mouthed off to her while she was scolding me. And her short arm somehow reached up and smacked me in the face really quick. I did not know my mom had ninja skills. It came up, hit me, and I was, and she says, you don't talk that way. My mom struck me. She abused me. No, she didn't abuse me. You know what she did? Hey, snap out of it. You know that's wrong. And I had to back up. Yeah, sorry, Mom. Don't, guys, don't ever talk to your mom like that. But sometimes that's the necessity of a judgment is something to smack us like that. There's a time and place to use judgment like this. The flock to speak this language. The, you son of the devil, your enemy of righteousness, full of deceit and villainy. Let me ask you, do you have in a category um, that there has been occasion? Have you ever encountered a time when you should have said something like that? Do you ever think there's a time where we need to actually say, you know what? Quit being a bonehead. Quit sinning. Change your direction because you know better. Are there times we should say that? Absolutely. There is a necessity for that. But notice the next part of this. 
There's a necessity. There's also a narrowness to the rebuke. By narrowness or re, um, of the judgment, I mean this. Paul speaks to Bar-Jesus in a completely different way than he talked to Sergius Pauls. There are two categories of people. I want you to hear this. Two categories of people in the world. Lost and saved. Converted, unconverted. Born again, enslaved to sin. That's the two categories. You are either for Christ or against him. Period. Now, there's some people, well, I'm pretty good. I'm kind of in the middle. No. If you think you're in the middle, Jesus calls you vomit. That's what he says in Revelations. I'd rather you be cold or hot instead of lukewarm. I'd rather vomit you out. I don't want to be, I don't want to be vomit. You are either hot or cold. You are either for him or against him. If you have not been born of the Spirit, if you have not given your life to Christ, if you have not walked into the Spirit, or the the translation, it's been a while, that's why I'm messing up. If you have not gone through the process of salvation, of faith, obedience, repentance, confession, baptism, walking in a new life, then you are not on the right side. That's not my words. Those are God's words. If you have not done that, you are a child of the devil. And that is by choice. Some people have one speed. Okay? Uh, Perhaps it's mamby-pamby. When it comes to your relationship with God, you're just going to... Never any righteous anger, never any emotion or passion... For others, they've got one speed. That would be me, which is intense. Fully on fire all the time. It could be a harsh rebuke then. Paul here approaches both of these men, both of whom were unbelievers, and he speaks in two different ways. To the sorcerer, to the Jewish guy who should have known better, he is harsh. Son of a devil. But then when he talks to Sergius Paulus, he talks to him different. And and here's two great errors that Christians, including me, find themselves in. One, that they would never speak this way with a sharp rebuke or judgment. That we never say what God actually says. Or that we always speak this way in a sharp rebuke or judgment. Paul and Barnabas here had the wisdom to know which way to speak. With each person. Every one of them needed a Savior. And the purpose of that judgment for Bar-Jesus was to say, get out of it. Now come back. I think the point of Luke recording this interaction is to show us again, as he's many times before, the Word of God wins. The Word has victory over evil and darkness. Look what it says in verse 12. Then the governor saw what had happened He became a believer, for he was astonished at the teaching about the Lord. Just look at that verse for a moment. What ultimately led Sergius Paulus to conversion, to giving his life to Christ? It wasn't the supernatural blindness of Lamus or Bar-Jesus. It wasn't the stern rebuke from Paul. It was the teaching about Jesus. It was the Word of God. The teaching. And it is the gospel of Jesus Christ. That is what won him over to God. It was the gospel of Jesus Christ. What led him to the conversion was the gospel. 
And what we learn from this encounter with Bar Jesus is there will be opposition to the gospel. There's going to be people who try to stop you, even people who maybe your friends or family. There will be difficulties. There's going to be roadblocks and hardships that we encounter as we seek to fulfill the mission mandate that God has laid before us. Opposition to the gospel, you need to expect it. If you think, I'm a Christian, now my life's going to be easy? (laughs) Jesus said this is a narrow road, a hard road. The easy road is to hell. ACDC saying about it, it's the highway to hell. Okay, that's what it is. It's a nice, easy, smooth ride all the way to damnation. I don't want that. If we faithfully proclaim the gospel, opposition is going to be a given. That's true on a church level as well as an individual level. Do you, do you want me to, not you yet, do you want me to tell you how to never be considered a fool by the world? Never share your faith. If you never share your faith, the world will never think you're a fool on that. Do you want me to how to tell you never to be rejected by the culture? Never stand for righteousness on a social issue. Do you want me to tell you how to never be taken advantage of? Never serve. Never reach out a hand of service to help those in need. Let me tell you how to never have a broken heart. Never give it away in a real relationship of encouragement and love. Do you want me to tell you how to never fail in Christian ministry? Always step out in faith in love, and attempt to follow what God, only God can do. Do that, and you'll always see success. Not the way you may want it, but it's always a success. Difficulties, hardships, failures, oppositions are coming. We already face them here. A lot of them, maybe, you don't even know because it, it's happening behind the scenes and things are going on, but it is happening If you seriously follow Christ, seriously desire to serve Him, you are going to be open up to a bunch of sorrows that are unknown to the average average person. Um, But you will also open yourself up to a vast array of joys, triumphs, and treasures. The ministry life, and I'm not talking about paid ministry, I'm talking about people who actually serve obeying what Scripture says where you are telling people about your faith, that you are acting out, obeying what it says when you reach out, that you serve one another. When you do that, the world's going to notice, the world's going to hate you. But God is going to bless you. I've seen it. There have been times I've seen so many people who actually follow and obey what God says, and they don't have enough money to pay their bills, and yet God blesses them. He takes care of it. I've seen a family who they gave away stuff, that they needed because there was somebody they felt was in better need. And God gave them a car so they could go to work. I've seen when people obey God, they step out in faith and say, we're going to do what his word says. He always answers. The difference is if we do it. And this, this is what the Christian life is supposed to be. And when we do that, yeah, the kids are all coming in, but pay attention up here. When we do this, when we follow what the Word actually says, we have liftoff. 
When we obey Scripture, the fires of our faith ignite. When we listen to the calling of the Spirit, our trajectory is on point. And then we have liftoff, and the Holy Spirit says, look what I am going to do in my people. The church of Antioch blasts off with Paul and Barnabas into the orbit ministry of service. And in doing so, they are served as a shining example, even here to St. Joe Church of Christ. The example being that what it means to be a church on mission, not just having a mission idea, but a mission daily life that we are go out and serve all in the name of Jesus. But being a church on mission means being sensitive to the Spirit's call. To know when he's telling us to go somewhere or to send someone somewhere. But here's my favorite part of this whole passage, okay? This is where we're going to bring it down. There's one more key part to this section. We've looked at Saul being changed and then Saul being called into ministry. We saw him being commissioned into ministry in this passage. But here's a key component that we all need to hear. Verse 9, Saul, also known as Paul, was filled with the Spirit. Saul, also known as, a.k.a. as as Paul. Saul is given a new name. Once changed, once called, he's given a new identity. And from this point on, he will only and always be called Paul. His old self, his old, old identity is gone. Paul is a new person. He is not bound by his past. He is not defined by his own past actions. He is a new person. Paul, from here on, Paul will go out and change the spiritual landscape of the world because of Paul's willingness to be sent out, his eagerness to speak the word of God, because Paul has the boldness to share what God's judgments are. Paul left this world fully lived in his name, in Jesus' name, and he lived that new identity. We've seen Saul go from changed from his life giving his life to Jesus, to being called into ministry of preaching and sharing. And today Saul was given a new name. He was commissioned into a new sort. And I want to ask, who here right now is like Paul? Who here has a past that shows you were once far from God, that you were far from Who here has been called to minister to others? Who here has been commissioned to share the message of Christ? And the answer is going to shock you. Because it's right here in Matthew 28. Jesus came and told his disciples. That means anybody who believes in him and follows him. I have been given all authority. That means he's the boss. In heaven and earth. Therefore, go. Make disciples of all nations. Baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you. And be sure of this. I am with you. Always. Even to the end of the age. If you are a Christian, if Jesus has changed you like he did Saul, he has given you salvation. If you are a Christian, he has called you like he did Saul to come and walk and serve in some sort of ministry. Called you to serve in his name. This isn't up for debate. This is, do I believe him and walk with him, or do I step back and say, I'm not a part of his family anymore? If you are a Christian, then God has commissioned every single one of us. 
to tell others about Jesus. And he said, go out and not show them. Teach them. I mean, speak the word of God. If all we ever do is come here and sit each Sunday, we have failed our God. We have betrayed his love. We've wasted it. If all we do is attend church, then we have served Satan. That's all we do is show up on a Sunday. We are thanking our father, Satan, not following Jesus. To be the church means we accept the commission. And the commission is for all of us to be like Saul, turning into Paul. Letting go of our past life, being called, changed, and then called to live in him, and then commissioned with that new name to go out and say, I was once like this. Paul calls himself the chief of all sinners, the worst sinner of all mankind, and we uphold him. You know why we lift him up? Because he actually lived his faith. And there are people in here I know who are ready to live that faith. And I will tell you, I am excited to see, and I will follow you. That's how much I see God moving and working inside of you. Some of you have yet to accept the change. You're still sitting back just wondering what it's all about. Why wait? Why wait? He is ready for you. He is waiting to change your life from the old way to a life going to heaven. Will you accept him today? For those who have already accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior... You've been changed through faith and baptism and walking in the new life. Are you fulfilling the commission that God has given each one of us? I fail. I fail a lot. Here's the great thing. It's not a pass or fail right now. It's all right. Get back up and let's do it again. Because he said, be sure of this always. I am with you. He's not sitting up there going, oh, you're done. Shoot you with lightning. He says, all right, now let's get back up. Let me walk with you. Speak my words. Live my words. Obey my words. And I am with you. That's what this church is up for. That's what the elders have talked about for the last. That's what our destination is, to actually live out purposefully, vividly, Word of God. If you've never made that first call to be changed, we accept it today. And if you need to step up and say, look, I've messed up. I need to change my life. We're also here for that too. If you need to make that decision, let's stand and let's go to the God, worship Him and praise Him for salvation that He's given us.